0: Chapter 4 of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter 4 Science and Philosophy. Bishop Virgil, Roger Bacon, Galileo, Giordano Bruno, Thomas Campanella, De Lille de Salle. Denis Diderot, Balthazar Becker, Isaac de la Pierre, Abbe de Marolles, Lucilio Vanini, Jean Rousseau. Science in its infancy found many powerful opponents who, not understanding the nature of the newly born babe, strove to strangle it. But the infant grew into a healthy child in spite of its cruel stepmother, and cried so loudly and talked so strangely, That the world was forced to listen to its utterances. These were regarded with distrust and aversion by the theologians of the day, for they were supposed to be in opposition to revelation, and contrary to the received opinions of all learned and pious people. Therefore, science met with very severe treatment, its followers were persecuted with relentless vehemence, and blasphemous fables and dangerous deceits were the only epithets which could characterize its doctrines the controversy between religion and science still rages in spite of the declaration of professor huxley that in his opinion the conflict between the two is entirely fictitious. but theologians are wiser now than they were in the days of galileo they are waiting to see what the scientists can prove and then when the various hypotheses are shown to be true it will be time enough to reconcile the verities of the faith with the facts of science to those who believed that the earth was flat it was somewhat startling to be told that there were antipodes this elementary truth of cosmology bishop virgil of salzburg was courageous enough to assert as early as a d 764 He wrote a book in which he stated that men of another race, not sprung from Adam, lived in the world beneath our feet. This work aroused the anger of Pope Zacharias II, who wrote to the King of Bavaria that Virgil should be expelled from the temple of God and the Church, and deprived of God and the Church, and deprived of his office, unless he confessed his perverse errors. In spite of the censure and sentence of excommunication pronounced upon him, bishop virgil was canonized by pope gregory the eleventh thus in spite of his misfortunes brought about by his book his memory was revered and honored by the western church if the account of his imprisonment be true of which there is no contemporary evidence our own celebrated english philosopher roger bacon is one of the earliest scientific authors whose works proved fatal to them in twelve sixty seven he sent his book opus maius together with his opus minus an abridgment of his former work to pope clement IV. after the death of that pope bacon was cited by the general of the franciscan order to which he belonged to appear before his judges at paris where he was condemned to imprisonment he is said to have languished in the dungeon fourteen years and worn out by his sufferings to have died in his beloved oxford during the year of his release 1292. The charge of magic was freely brought against him. His great work, which has been termed the Encyclopedia and the Novum Organum of the 13th century, discloses an unfettered mind and judgment far in advance of the spirit of the age in which he lived. In addition to this, he wrote Compendium Philosophiae, De Mirabili Potestate Artis et Naturae, Specula Mathematica speculum alchemicum and other works the treatment which galileo received at the hands of the ecclesiastics of his day is well known this father of experimental philosophy was born at pisa in fifteen sixty four and at the age of twenty four years through the favour of the medicis was elected professor of mathematics at the university of the same town resigning his chair in fifteen ninety two he became professor at padua and then at Florence. He startled the world by the publication of his first book, Sidereus Nuncius, in which he disclosed his important astronomical discoveries, amongst others the satellites of Jupiter and the spots on the Sun. This directed the attention of the Inquisition to his labors, but in 1632 he published his immortal work Dialogo due Massimi Sistemi del Monde, Ptolemaico et Copernicano, Florence, which was the cause of his undoing. In this book he defended the opinion of Copernicus concerning the motion of the earth round the sun, which was supposed by the theologians of the day to be an opinion opposed to the teaching of Holy Scripture and subversive of all truth. The work was brought before the Inquisition at Rome and condemned by the order of Pope Urban VIII, Galileo was commanded to renounce his theory, but this he refused to do, and was cast into prison. "'Are these, then, my judges?' he exclaimed, when he was returning from the presence of the Inquisitors, whose ignorance astonished him. There he remained for five long years, until at length, wearied by his confinement, the squalor of the prison, and by his increasing years, he consented to recant his heresy, and regained his liberty.' The old man lost his sight at seventy-four years of age, and died four years later in 1642. In addition to the work which caused him so great misfortunes, he published Discorso e demonstrat interna alla due nuova scienza, Della scienza meccanica, 1649, Tractato della Sfera, 1655, and the telescope, the isochronism of the vibrations of the pendulum, the hydrostatic balance. The thermometer were all invented by this great leader of astronomical and scientific discoverers. Many other discoveries might have been added to these, had not his widow submitted the sage's manuscripts to her confessor, who ruthlessly destroyed all that he considered unfit for publication. Possibly he was not the best judge of such matters. Italy also produced another unhappy philosophic writer, Giordano Bruno who lived about the same time as galileo and was born at nole in fifteen fifty being fourteen years his senior at an early age he acquired a great love of study and a thirst for knowledge the renaissance and the revival of learning had opened wide the gates of knowledge and there were many eager faces crowding around the doors many longing to enter the fair paradise and explore the far-extending vistas which met their gaze it was an age of anxious and eager inquiry The torpor of the last centuries had passed away, and a new world of discovery, with spring-like freshness, dawned upon the sight. Giordano Bruno was one of these zealous students of the sixteenth century. We see him first in a Dominican convent, but the old world scholasticism had no charms for him. The narrow groove of the cloister was irksome to his freedom-loving soul. He cast off his monkish garb, and wandered through Europe as a knight-errant of philosophy, Multum ille et terris jactatus et auto, teaching letters. In 1580, we find him at Geneva conferring with Calvin and Beza, but Calvinism did not commend itself to his philosophic mind. Thence he journeyed to Paris, where in 1582 he produced one of his more important works, De umbris idearum. Soon afterwards, he came to London, where he became the intimate friend of Sir Philip Sidney. Here he wrote the work which proved fatal to him, entitled Spacchio della bestia trionfante, The Expulsion of the Triumphing Beast, London, fifteen eighty four. footnote The full title of the work is Spacchio della bestia trionfante da Giove, Effettuato dal Conseglio, Revelato da Mercurio, Recitato da Sofia, Udito da Saulino registrato dal nolano divisa in tre dialoghi, subdivisi in tre parti in parigi fifteen eighty four in eight this was an allegory in which he combated superstition and satirized the errors of rome but in this work bruno fell into grievous errors and dangerous atheistic deceits he scoffed at the worship of god declared that the books of the sacred canon were merely dreams, that Moses worked his wonders by magical art, and blasphemed the Saviour. Bruno, furnished another example of those whose faith, having been at one time forced to accept dogmas bred of superstition, has been weakened and altogether destroyed when they have perceived the falseness and fallibility of that which before they deemed infallible. But in spite of these errors, Bruno's learning was remarkable. He had an extensive knowledge of all sciences. From England he went to Germany and lectured at Wittenberg, Prague, and Frankfurt. His philosophy resembled that of Spinoza. He taught that God is the substance and life of all things, and that the universe is an immense animal of which God is the soul. At length he had the imprudence to return to Italy and became a teacher at Padua. At Venice he was arrested by order of the Inquisition in 1595. And conducted to rome where after an imprisonment of two years in order that he might be punished as gently as possible without the shedding of blood he was sentenced to be burned alive with the courage worthy of a philosopher he exclaimed to his merciless judges you pronounce sentence upon me with greater fear than i receive it bruno's other great works were de la causa principio e una 1584 de infinito universo et mundis 1584 de monade numero et figura frankfurt 1591 the inquisition at rome at this period was particularly active in its endeavors to reform errant philosophers and bruno was by no means the only victim who felt its power thomas campanella born in Calabria in Italy, A.D. 1568, conceived the design of reforming philosophy about the same time as our more celebrated Bacon. This was a task too great for his strength, nor did he receive much encouragement from the existing powers. He attacked scholasticism with much vigour and censured the philosophy of Aristotle, the admired of the schoolman. He wrote a work entitled Philosophia Sensibus Demonstrata, in which he defended the ideas of Telesio, who explained the laws of nature as founded upon two principles, the heat of the sun and the coldness of the earth. He declared that all our knowledge was derived from sensation and that all parts of the earth were endowed with feeling. Campanella also wrote Prodromus Philosophiae Instaurante, 1617, Philosophia Rationalis, embracing grammar, dialectics, rhetoric, poetry and history universalis philosophatus a treatise on metaphysics civita solis a description of a kind of utopia after the fashion of plato's republic but the fatal book which caused his woes was his atheismus triumphatus on account of this work he was cast into prison and endured so much misery that we can scarcely bear to think of his tortures and sufferings for twenty-five years he endured all the squalor and horrors of a medieval dungeon. Through thirty-five hours he was questioned with such exceeding cruelty that all his veins and arteries were so drawn and stretched by the rack that the blood could not flow. Yet he bore all this terrible agony with a brave spirit and did not utter a cry. Various causes have been assigned for the severity of this torture inflicted on poor Campanella. Some attribute it to the malice of the scholastic philosophers whom he had offended by his works. Others say that he was engaged in some treasonable conspiracy to betray the kingdom of Naples to the Spaniards. But it is probable that his atheismus triumphatus was the chief cause of his woes. Sorbillere has thus passed judgment upon this fatal book. Quote, Though nothing is dearer to me than time, the loss of which grieves me sorely, I confess that I have lost both oil and labor in reading the empty book of an empty monk, Thomas Campanella. It is a farrago of vanities, has no order, many obscurities and perpetual barbarisms. One thing I have learned in wandering through this book, that I will never read another book of this author, even if I could spare the time. End quote. Authorities differ with regard to the ultimate fate of this author. Some say that he was killed in prison in 1599. Others declare that he was released and fled to France, where he enjoyed a pension granted to him by Richelieu. However, during his incarceration he continued his studies and wrote a work concerning the Spanish monarchy, which was translated from Italian into German and Latin. In spite of his learning, he made many enemies by his arrogance, and his restless and ambitious spirit carried him into enterprises which were outside the proper sphere of his philosophy. In this he followed the example of many other luckless authors, to whom the advice of the homely proverb would have been valuable, which states that a shoemaker should stick to his last. The book, entitled De la philosophie de la nature, ou traité de morale pour l'espèce humaine, tiré de la philosophie et fondée sur la nature, Paris, Seyans et Nyon, 1769, six volumes, in 12, has a curious history. It inflicted punishment not only on its author, de Lille de Sales, but also on two learned censors of books who approved its contents, the Abbé Chrétien and Monsieur Lebas, the bookseller Seyans, and two of its printers. De Lille was sent to prison, but the severity of the punishment aroused popular indignation, and his journey to jail resembled a triumph. All the learned men of Paris visited the imprisoned philosopher. All the sentences were reversed by the Parliament of Paris in 1777. This book has often been reproduced and translated in other languages. De Lille was exposed to the persecutions of the Reign of Terror, and another work of his, entitled Eponine, caused him a second term of imprisonment, from which he was released when the terrible reign of anarchy, lasting eighteen months, ended. The industrious philosopher Denis Diderot wrote Letters sur les aveugles et l'usage de ceux qui voient, 1749, in 12. There were those who saw, and were not blind to his defects, and proceeded to incarcerate Diderot in the castle of Vincennes, where he remained six months. And where he perceived that this little correction was necessary to cure him of his philosophical folly. He was a very prolific writer, and subsequently with D'Alembert edited the first French encyclopedia, 1751 to seventeen seventy-two, seventeen 17 volumes. This was supposed to contain statements antagonistic to the government and to religion, and its authors and booksellers and their assistants were all sent to the Bastille. Chambers Cyclopedia had existed in England some years before a similar work was attempted in France, and the idea was first started by an Englishman, John Mills. This man was ingeniously defrauded of the work which owed its conception and execution entirely to him. Perhaps, on the whole, he might have been congratulated as he escaped the Bastille to which the appropriators of his work were consigned. An author who dares to combat the popular superstitious beliefs current in his time often suffers in consequence of his courage, as Balthasar Becker discovered to his cost. This writer was born in Westfriesland in 1634 and died at Amsterdam in 1698. He was a pastor of the Reformed Church of Holland and resided during the greater part of his life at Amsterdam, where he produced his earlier work, Recherche sur les comets, 1683, in which he combated the popular belief in the malign influence of comets. This work was followed a few years later by his more famous book, The Beethoven of the World, or The Enchanted World. Footnote, Le monde enchanté, où examen des sentiments touchant les esprits, traduit du flamand en français. Amsterdam, 1694, four volumes, in 12. One Benjamin Binet wrote a refutation entitled Traité historique des dieux et des démons du paganisme avec des remarques sur le système de Balthazar becker delft 1696 in 12 and footnote in which he refuted the vulgar notions with regard to demoniacal possession this work created a great excitement amongst the hollanders and in two months no less than 4000 copies were sold but unfortunately for the author it aroused the indignation of the theologians of the reformed church who condemned it deprived Becker of his office and expelled him from their communion. Becker died shortly after his sentence had been pronounced. A great variety of opinions have been expressed concerning this book. Becker was a follower of Descartes, and this was sufficient to condemn him in the eyes of many of the theologians of the day. The Jansenists of Port Royal and the divines of the old National Church of Holland were vehement opponents of Cartesianism, Consequently, we find M. S. de Vries of Utrecht declaring that this fatal book caused more evil in the space of two months than all the priests could prevent in twenty years. Another writer states that it is an illustrious work and full of wisdom and learning. When Becker was deposed from his office, his adversaries caused a medal to be struck, representing the devil clad in a priestly robe riding on an ass and carrying a trophy in his right hand which was intended to signify that becker had been overcome in his attempt to disprove the maniacal possession and that the devil had conquered in the assembly of divines who pronounced sentence on becker's book the author was supposed to resemble satan in the ugliness of his appearance another coin was struck in honour of our author on one side is shown the figure of becker clad in his priestly robe and on the other is seen Hercules with his club, with this inscription, Opus Virtutis Veritatisque triumphat." Becker also wrote a catechism, entitled La Nourriture des Parfums, 1670, which so offended the authorities of the Reformed Church that its use was publicly prohibited by the sound of bells. The science of ethnology has also had its victims, and one Isaac de la Perrière. Suffered for its sake. His fatal book was one entitled Praeadamitae Sive Exercitatio Super Versibus, twelve thirteen fourteen 13, 5, Epistolae Divi Pauli ad Romanos, Quibus inducuntur primi hominis ante Adamum Conditi, 1655 and 12, in which he advocated a theory that the earth had been peopled by a race which existed before Adam. The author was born at Bordeaux in 1592, and served as the prince of Condé, but in spite of his protector, he was imprisoned at Brussels, and his book was burned at Paris in 1655. This work had a salutary effect on the indefatigable translator Abbe de Marolles, who, with extraordinary energy but with little skill, was in the habit of translating the classical works, and almost anything that he could lay his hands upon. He published no less than seventy volumes, and at last turned his attention to the sacred scriptures, translating them with notes. In the latter he inserted extracts and reflections from the above-mentioned book by Pereire, which caused a sudden cessation of his labours. By the authority of the Pope the printing of his works was suddenly stopped, but probably the loss which the world incurred was not very great. Pereire seems to have foretold the fate of his book and his own escape in the following line Parve nec invidio sine me liber ibis in ignem. Lucilio Vanini, born in 1585, was an Italian philosopher, learned in medicine, astronomy, theology and philosophy, who, after the fashion of the scholars of the age, roamed from country to country, like the knight errants of the days of chivalry, seeking for glory and honours, not by the sword, but by learning. This Vanini was a somewhat vain and ridiculous person. Not content with his Christian name Lucilio, he assumed the grandiloquent and high-sounding cognomen of Julius Caesar, wishing to attach to himself some of the glory of the illustrious founder of the Roman Empire. As the proud Roman declared Veni Vidi Vici, so would he carry on the same victorious career, subduing all rival philosophers by the power of his eloquence and learning. He visited Naples, wandered through France, Germany, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and England, and finally stationed himself in France, first at Lyon and then in a convent at Toulouse. At Lyon he produced his famous and fatal book, Amphitheatrum eternae providentiae divino magicum Christiano physicum, nec non astrologo catholicum. Luduni, 1616. It was published with the royal assent, but afterwards brought upon its author the charge of atheism. He concealed the poison most carefully, for apparently he defended the belief in the divine providence and in the immortality of the soul. But with consummate skill and subtlety he taught that which he pretended to refute, and led his readers to see the force of the arguments against the faith of which he posed as a champion. By a weak and feeble defense, by foolish arguments and ridiculous reasoning, he secretly exposed the whole Christian religion to ridicule. But if any doubts were left whether this was done designedly or unintentionally, they were dispelled by his second work. The admirandis naturae reginae deaeque mortalium arcanis, Paris, 1616, which, published in the form of sixty dialogues, contained many profane statements. In this work also, he adopted his previous plan of pretending to demolish the arguments against the faith, while he secretly sought to establish them. He says that he had wandered through Europe, fighting against the atheist wherever he met with them. He describes his disputations with them carefully regarding all their arguments. He concludes each dialogue by saying that he reduced the atheists to silence, but with strange modesty he does not inform his readers what reasonings he used, and practically leaves the carefully drawn-up atheistical arguments unanswered. The Inquisition did not approve of this subtle method of teaching atheism, and ordered him to be confined in prison, and then to be burned alive. This sentence was carried out at Toulouse in 1619 in spite of his protestations of innocence and the arguments which he brought forward before his judges to prove the existence of God. Some have tried to free Vanini from the charge of atheism, but there is abundant evidence of his guilt apart from his books. The tender mercies of the Inquisition were cruel and could not allow so notable a victim to escape their vengeance. Whether to burn a man is the surest way to convert him is a question open to argument. Vanini disguised his insidious teaching carefully, but it required a thick veil to deceive the eyes of inquisitors, who were wonderfully clever in spying out heresy, and sometimes thought they had discovered it even when it was not there. Vanini and many other authors would have been wiser if they had not committed their ideas to writing, and contented themselves with words only. Litera scripta manet, and disguise it, twist it, explain it as you will, there it stands, a witness for your acquittal or your condemnation. This thought stays the course of the most restless pen, though the wrecks and fires of the inquisition no longer threaten the incautious scribe. We must not omit a French philosopher who died just before the outbreak of the first French revolution, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. It is well known that his work Émile ou de l'Éducation par Gégé Rousseau, Citoyen de Genève, Amsterdam, 1762, four volumes, in 12, obliged him to fly from France and Switzerland, in both of which countries he was adjudged to prison. For many years he passed a wandering, anxious life, ever imagining that his best friends wished to betray him. Of his virtues and failings as an author or of the vast influence he exercised over the minds of his countrymen it is needless to write this has already been done by many authors in many works chapter four